All right. All right, team. We're a team. We're a family. Get your Bibles out, please. We're going to look at Psalm 29. I'm, I'm in the book of Psalms again. Um, pastor Scott, senior pastor, is still on sabbatical. He'll be back at, at the end of this month. Can I get some Kleenexes up here, please, someone? Where? Oh, there they are. I got you. Thank you. I cry out of my nose. It's a curse. <laughs> um, so I'm preaching today. Next week, we're going to have a young man who was saved while at Western Carolina and plugged in here at Webster. His name is Arthur Bien. Some of you might remember Arthur. Um, his, I love the fact that his family sells reptiles. I thought that was pretty cool. Interesting thing about him. But uh, he's a, he loves the Lord. He loves making disciples. He's church planning out in Rutherfordton. And so he'll be here next week. Now, we're going to read this scripture, but I got to warn you, I'm going to nerd out. If you, know, you don't know what that means, I'm just going to be like talking some crazy stuff, like historical stuff, theological stuff. This sermon is, is kind of my geek fest. So um, the first point that I'm going to make is going to be longer than the other two because it's the foundation of the other two. Um, I just wanted you to have that war, uh, warning uh, because this, this sermon is supposed to be a, a background sermon or a historical background ser sermon for our upcoming series on spiritual warfare that Pastor Scott's going to preach when he gets back. So that's, that's so you know what to expect. <laughs> We're nerding out a little bit. Praise God. Let's stand and read the scriptures together. And I'm reading from the Legacy Standard Version or Legacy Standard Bible because I believe it. I love its translation of the Old Testament. Starting in verse 1. Ascribe to Yahweh... O sons of the mighty, ascribe to Yahweh glory and strength. Ascribe to Yahweh the glory of his name. Worship Yahweh in the splendor of holiness. The voice of Yahweh is upon the waters. The God of glory thunders. Yahweh is over many waters. The voice of Yahweh is powerful. The voice of Yahweh is full of splendor. The voice of Yahweh breaks the cedars. Indeed, Yahweh breaks in pieces the cedars of Lebanon. He makes Lebanon skip like a calf and Syrian like a young wild ox. The voice of Yahweh hews out flames of fire. The voice of Yahweh causes the wilderness to tremble. Yahweh causes the wilderness of Kadesh to tremble. The voice of Yahweh makes the deer to calf and strips the forests bare. And in his temple, everything says glory. Yahweh sat enthroned over the flood. Indeed, Yahweh sits as king forever. Yahweh will give strength to his people. 
Yahweh will bless his people with peace. Let's pray. Lord, we just, we, we cry glory, glory. You are glorious, God. There is no one like you. There is no one in heaven, on earth, or under the earth that compares to your splendor, your strength, your beauty. Yahweh, you are awesome. Thank you for sending your son, Father, to bring us into your family. That we could even be the temple where your spirit dwells. We cry glory, glory, God. You are glorious. Please, Lord, educate us in our history, in the true history of this world. Educate us. Enable us to see, God, that you are supreme over all. So we might have confidence and we might trust you. God, I pray that your spirit would just roam through here, that you would fill me with your spirit, that I would worship you through proclaiming your truth and that every word might be your word, not my word, but your word. And if there's anything that I say that's not of you, let it fall to the floor. Let people just ignore it, not even remember it, but may your word stand. So meet with us, God. We need you to meet with us. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. Psalm 29 is what we call a victory hymn. A victory hymn. A song sung in celebration of a victorious battle. And this victory hymn in Psalm 29 is declaring that Yahweh is supreme over all. Yahweh is supreme over all. In fact, that is the title of this sermon. Now, if you're here and you've not really understood what the name Yahweh is or who is Yahweh, well, in the Old Testament, we see that Moses met with God in a burning bush, the true God in a burning bush. And he revealed himself with the name Yahweh. And he said, this will be my name throughout generations, Yahweh. And Yahweh is supreme over all. While we live in a time where the supernatural is seen to be mythical, the reality is the time period when the Bible was written was full of supernatural occurrences. Not just supernatural from Yahweh God's activity, but supernatural activity from so-called gods. Paul, in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 20, would later call them demons. Paul said, no, but I say that the things with the, which the Gentiles sacrifice to, they sacrifice to demons and not to God. And I do not want you to become sharers in demons. So Paul knew this too. Paul understood this. So we should understand it. We should know this. We should know our true history. We should know the reality of this, act, this world. You see, these demonic forces are hierarchical, meaning they operate in leadership, uh, and then they have little smaller demons. And if you've ever read... Uh, C.S. Lewis's Screwtape Letters. It's a great 
uh, allegory of how the demons like to work. Now, according to Scripture, this broken world that we live in lies in the power of the one at the top of their hierarchy, Satan. But as stated before, this psalm is a victory hymn declaring that Yahweh is even over them, these spirit beings. Now, if you want to get dive a little bit deeper into this, there's a couple books I recommend by a guy named Michael Heiser. Uh, the first one is uh, the, uh, in, what did y'all, who, who's read it? Someone knows. The Invisible Realm. Unseen Realm. The Unseen Realm. And then he's got other books that kind of simplify some of the things found within that book you should check out. So it's a great introduction. Even the Bible Project has done videos partnering with Michael Heiser, kind of revealing this reality of spirit beings that Yahweh God created. But why is all this important? Why is it important that Yahweh is supreme over all, including these hierarchy of demons? Well, it's be important because we as Christians can have confidence navigating a broken world because Yahweh is supreme over all. Let me give you a little illustration of how this can give you confidence. Imagine for a moment what it's like to be in a car as a passenger. And that's really what we all are. You, you really have little, if any, control of your life for the most part. But imagine that we're passengers in a car, but you immensely trust your driver. It's someone you are extremely confident can navigate you through the toughest rains like we had last night at the ball. We got rained out of our ball game last night. But we're, hey, we're going, we got free tickets to go back just so, yeah, we're going we're gonna to go. But it was raining and pouring. I was driving. It was scary. We had to drive in rain when we went to Passion last year. It's scary. But imagine that the person driving knows how to navigate the rains like I do. Sorry, I had to throw that on among the most dangerous corners, around the most dangerous corners, or can drive you the longest distance without, you know they'll never fall asleep at the wheel. You see, when I'm confident of the driver's skill, the supreme, supremely good driver, I can just sit back, I can relax, I can fall asleep, because I can trust them. But this doesn't mean the trip is going to not be dangerous. It doesn't mean that the road isn't full of danger just because I trust the driver. You see, this broken world is still full of danger and evil. But I, and if you're a Christian, you have the most skillful, strong, and trustworthy driver. And that's my hope for today. I'm, my hope is that as we look at Psalm 29, and you see that Yahweh is supreme over all. My hope for you is that you gain confidence so that anything that happens in this world, the turbulence, the rain, the, the tough corners, the, the uphill struggle, that you can have confidence because you trust your driver. That's what I hope you'll see as we look at Yahweh is supreme over all. So let's look at our first Reason to have confidence. We have confidence because Yahweh is God over all gods. Little G gods. We're going to look at verses 1 through 6. Yahweh is God over all gods. Now, 
before we read the scripture. This might be news to you, but most myths are based on some version of truth in this world. Most myths, Greek myths, Babylonian myths, Cherokee myths, they're based on some version of the truth. And when I say little g gods, I'm not speaking of beings that are on the same level or power as Yahweh God. These are spirit beings created by Yahweh and originally tasked by him to fulfill his will. But guess what? They didn't do it. You see, this idea is present within the psalm itself, as we will see in just a moment. But what's wild about this psalm that we are reading and looking at is that its content and structure within the Hebrew and the ancient Near East context are so blatantly boasting of Yahweh being supreme over all the little g-gods that some more liberal scholars argue that this psalm, that David stole this psalm from the Canaanites, from the Philistines. They say, this is actually a Phoenician, Mesopotamian hymn, and it was just moved into the Bible. Now, I don't believe that's the case, but even if it were the case, just for a moment, even if David stole it, the point is clear. Though the Phoenicians might have, or excuse me, the Philistines might have said that Baal was the one over the storm or the God over all the gods, even if they said Baal is God, the point is clear here that Yahweh is God. He is the true God over all gods. Yahweh is supreme over all, not Baal. And the reason I'm mentioning this is because these spirit beings, these demons, essentially, they were real and they are real. They are real. They haven't changed, but their methods of deception have. Yahweh is still God over all gods. Look at verse 1. It says... A scribe, or as the CSB study Bible says, ascribing means you're, you're saying something or someone is acknowledged to have an attribute. So he's saying, okay, acknowledge it, acknowledge it. Acknowledge to Yahweh, O sons of the mighty, Ben Alim, sons of mighty God, or the divine counsel. Ascribe to Yahweh, you spirit beings, Ascribe to Yahweh glory and strength. He's saying, you guys surrender. Acknowledge it. He's saying to these spirit beings and their offspring, admit that Yahweh is worthy of your praise. Admit that he is glorious. Admit that he created you. Stop fighting him. Verse 2, ascribe, admit to Yahweh the glory of his name. Essentially, his name being the essence of who he is. That he's glorious, he's eternal God. Yahweh is a play on the Hebrew word for I am, Hayah, Yahweh. I am who I am. Yahweh's name defines him as the God who was, who is, and will be. And David is saying, admit it, Baal. Admit it, Dagon. Admit it, Hermes. 
and worship. Worship Yahweh in the splendor of holiness. He's saying that Yahweh's robes, that what he's clothed in is holy. It's not just him who's holy. He is so holy that everything that Yahweh has that he's clothed in is holy, set apart, something completely other. He's not like you, Baal. He created you, Baal. Admit it, is what he's saying. And so now, in verse 3, we're going to have a little shift. It's now going to give examples of Yahweh's might and glory. Verse 3, the voice of Yahweh. And this, this phrase, the voice of Yahweh, is going to be said in the psalm seven times. Meaning, it's like perfect. The voice of Yahweh is like is upon the waters. And the waters can mean both the great flood or the celestial seas. That Yahweh was there at the beginning. Yahweh is the one who spoke and the seas separated. His voice is upon the waters. And the God of glory thunders. Yahweh is over many waters. Yahweh was responsible for separating the waters and forming the earth. While also being responsible for the great flood that destroyed all living things in Noah's day. And it's, impo it's important to not hear that pretty much, it's important to note here that pretty much every ancient civilization has its own testimony of the creation and the flood. It's everywhere. It's even on this continent. It's everywhere. But it, David is portraying Yahweh as the one sovereign over it. And the picture too in this narrative is like it's a storm. Like he's using all these allusions to their past. While, pick, while uh, some commentators say it's like a storm. He's saying there's a storm coming. And he's using all these illustrations to show Yahweh is over this storm. But look, Yahweh is over this storm because he's over this, this, this. And in the Ugaritic and in the Canaanite religion, Baal was supposed to be the god over the seas and the storm. Baal was pictured over, pictured holding a lightning bolt and riding on a cloud. Did you know the Greek transliter or translation of Baal is Zeus? Verse 4, the voice of Yahweh is powerful. The voice of Yahweh is Full of splendor. So Yahweh's voice has power over this storm, over all of creation. Doesn't it call to mind Jesus in the boat with his disciples? The storm is raging. Lightning is hitting the seas. And here are the disciples panicking and afraid they're going to die. And there's Jesus who knows who's God over the storm. Sleeping. And they wake him up. And what does Jesus do? He speaks. And what happens? The storm stops. Who is this that even the wind and waves obey him? Verse 5. The voice of Yahweh breaks the cedars. Indeed, Yahweh breaks in pieces the cedars 
of Lebanon. Lebanon was well known for its forest with strong cedar trees. Even Solomon got cedar trees to build his palace and the temple from Lebanon because that's what it was known for. But most don't know that in the epic of Gilgamesh. Now remember, I told you most myths are based on aspects of truth. But the epic of Gilgamesh and other Mesopotamian myths the forests of Lebanon were sacred and their wood was used to build the homes of the gods in the forest. So do you see what David's doing here? <laughs> he's using all, I mean, and God's writing this through David because God knows what he's doing. He's showing that Yahweh is God over the gods. Their home isn't safe. And it, get, it gets better Check this out. Verse 6. He makes Lebanon skip like a calf and Syrian like a young wild ox. Like Yahweh is so terrifying and powerful that like these two places. He starts with this big geographic location. He went from the wilderness where it's the wood and the gods make their little dwelling out of this wood. And he talks about Lebanon of that same region. But then he pinpoints this place called Syrian. Do you know what that place is? It's Mount Hermon. It's Mount Hermon in northern Israel. You see, the Canaanites and surrounding peoples believed that Mount Hermon was the doorway to the realm of the gods. And it would have a mountain or pantheon of God's connection. You ever seen those, those movies like even the, the Thor, recent Thor movie had this pantheon and all the gods are like, <laughs> and they're all in there. I mean, this is kind of what it is trying to symbolize. And that to them, Mount Hermon was like the mountain of God. It was this place where humans and God deities could go and dwell. And, and here David is saying that place that every other nation attributes to their God, that place, and even the book of Enoch says that the, that's where the angelic beings came to earth. That place trembles at the mention of Yahweh. It trembles. So for David to say that Yahweh makes Lebanon skip like a calf and Syrian like a wild ox, he is saying that all of the gods of the pantheon, Baal, Dagon, etc., all of them, they all are under the sovereign, powerful rule of Yahweh. These demons are under his authority and domain. NIV application commentary says this, when Yahweh appears in all of his glory, the pagan deities can only acknowledge his glory and strength and humbly bow and worship to him. They have, they can't even resist. Every knee will bow. Every tongue will confess. It doesn't matter if you're a spirit being or a physical being. When he takes the stage, it's game over. Yahweh is God over all gods. That was my longest point. All right. Let's keep nerding out for a minute. Yahweh is God over all gods. Second point, we have confidence because Yahweh is creator over all creation. This is verses seven through nine. You see, when the ancients worshiped their territorial gods, they were gods over different domains. They were some over geographic locations. Some were over different elements. Some were even over natural occurrences like storms or the sea or 
uh, snow, and they, they had all these things in the created order. They thought this because those little G gods are real, were real, and they deceived them. They demanded worship. They were real. They were beings who convinced people that they had Yahweh's power. And so they demanded loyalty and worship. You got you to understand. We look, at, we look at the Bible so often through a naturalistic lens, a non-supernatural lens. And we read these things and we think, Oh, surely that were, they were just making some of this up. Oh, surely. Oh, they were uneducated. You know, they didn't know what they were talking about. They were just trying to make sense of their world. That's what they will tell you in most college classes when they talk about religion of the ancients. But that is not the case. There were real supernatural things that were happening. Some of you in this church have seen the demonic, have experienced the demonic, this is how they experienced it. So Yahweh's authority over creation signifies to all that Baal isn't the God over the weather. Ra is not the God over the sun. Dagon is not God over prosperity. No, Yahweh is creator over all creation. Just as the gods bend to his will, so the created order that they attribute to those little gods, it bends to Yahweh's order. His, his orders and his authority. And in fact, if you under, to understand Moses' and the Israelites' exodus and to understand the 10 plagues, you have to have this in mind because the 10 plagues were all about showing the Egyptians their gods had no power over these things. Yahweh does. Verse 7, The voice of Yahweh hews out flames of fire, Likely meaning like lightning, but even more, Yahweh is over fire. He's over lightning. And the voice of Yahweh causes the wilderness to tremble. Yahweh causes the wilderness of Kadesh to tremble. Kadesh, this is the place where the ancient Israelites, when they were wandering through the desert, they were trying to get to the promised land. They stopped here. And you know what they did? God said, go to Canaan. You're going to take this land. And so they sent out spies. They sent out spies to the land of Canaan from Kadesh. And these spies went and there were only two who came back and said, our God can defeat the Nephilim. Our God can take them out. While the others were like, nope, we're just grasshoppers to them. They're so tall. They're so big. We can't do it. What happened at Kadesh is that God's people failed to acknowledge that he is more powerful than the gods of the Canaanites. They distrusted him. But here, Yahweh's voice, that place where they had such a, I mean, because they did this, a whole generation was wiped out because they didn't trust Yahweh. That place of great disobedience and distrust, at the voice of Yahweh, it trembles. Verse 9, the voice of Yahweh makes the deer to calve and the strip, he strips the forest bare and it's in his temple. Everything says glory. So he's saying that like God can speak to a deer, whether it's a whisper or a scream. <laughs> and 
and a deer will give birth. That means those gods of fertility, they don't have the power that Yahweh has. Those gods of the livestock, they don't have the power that God has. Ultimately, it is Yahweh who is sovereign over all. Sovereign over the creation. And in response, those who are worshiping in his temple, those who are in his temple and rightly attribute to Yahweh what he deserves, they have no other response but to say glory. You are glorious, God. You are so mighty. You are so wonderful. They are praising him because he's worthy of it. I, in response to this idea that when, when God's people understand God's power over nature and over the gods, I love what this commentary says. How long has it been since you were overwhelmed in this way by a sense of God's powerful presence? Like when you hear a sermon about how Yahweh, our God, the triune God, Father, Son, and Spirit, when you hear about how powerful He is and how no other spirit being has the power that He has, when you hear that, what is your response? Are you amazed? How long has it been since you were overwhelmed in this way by a sense of God's powerful presence? Too often today, God has become our buddy and pal. As Christians, we sometimes become so comfortable with the salvation we have received in Christ that we forget just how undeserved it is. When we focus on God only as Redeemer, Savior, and friend, and not as powerful God, creator and hater of sin and hater of evil, it is easy, often unintentional, unintentional to emasculate our understanding of God until he is like our human buddies and pals who accept us as we are and do not challenge us to change. What is our response to this power that Yahweh has over creation? Yahweh is creator over all creation. Third reason for confidence. We have confidence because Yahweh is king over all kings. Yahweh is king over all kings. Verse 10 says, Yahweh sat. Notice the past tense. Yahweh sat enthroned over the flood. ESV study Bible tells us this. The word for flood here is used elsewhere only of Noah's flood. So that flood was a flood that God used to purify the earth because of the evil of humanity. But not only that, the flood was also God's method of wiping out a whole generation of Nephilim who were the results of little G-gods mating with humans. Did you know your Bible says that? Your Bible in a lot of ways, is crazier than Greek mythology. Or just as crazy to a naturalistic person. Did you know your Bible says that? These beings, these spirit beings, I, at the time of Noah, had the ability to take physical form and mate with human women. 
And the result being Nephilim, giants. Did you know your Bible says that? I'll just say this. If that bothers you, then someone rising from the dead should really bother you. But that flood was meant as God's cleansing method of destroying that whole generation of Nephilim. And if you, even though this is not mentioned here, just so you know, people say, why would God command the, the murder of children and women through Joshua's campaign? It's also this reason. It happened after the flood too. The Amalekites. It wasn't just human evil that sickened Yahweh. It was his spirit beings creating abominations to steal his glory. That's why they wiped out all of Canaan. And you know what? They actually didn't do it all. They rebelled. You know what David had to fight? A giant. I would argue that some of these beings are probably still here. Yeah, NBA players. Terry. Anyway, what I'm saying is that Yahweh's over the flood. He knew what he was doing when he was wiping out that whole generation. It's wild because it's not what I've been indoctrinated to believe. Genesis 6, 4 says the Nephilim were on the earth in those days and also afterward (laughs) when the sons of God came into the daughters of men and they bore children to them. Those were the mighty men who were of old. Where do you think Hercules myth comes from? Where do you think all these myths come from? They're sort of real, not completely real because they lie about the power they had saying it was better than Yahweh's. No, but there is a shed of truth to them. But King Yahweh will not tolerate his creation to be hijacked by imposter kings who claim, that's what the Egyptian pharaohs claimed. We are gods. Did you know in Japan during World War II, the emperor claimed to be deity? And the reason people were willing to get in planes and crash them into Ships or people, kamikaze pilots, is because they believed their emperor was God. Nothing new under the sun. Yahweh will not tolerate his creation to be hijacked by imposter kings or imposter gods. He is king over all. Verse 11, Yahweh, oh, excuse me, let me read. Indeed, Yahweh sits as king forever. Verse 11, Yahweh will give strength to his people. Yahweh will bless his people with peace. Ultimately, no other nation and king slaved to other gods will overthrow Yahweh's people. Yahweh has every king in checkmate. He has every little G-God in checkmate. NIV commentary says, having assumed his rightful place as eternal king, Yahweh becomes the source of confident hope for his people. 
You see, Yahweh is our confident hope because he is all powerful. He is supreme over all. And yet, even though he is that holy, powerful, supreme over all, he is for us. Romans 8.31. What then shall we say to all these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? If Yahweh, supreme over all, is for his people, who can be against us? Yahweh is king over all kings. Okay. I'm running out of time, but let me, let me just summarize what we've nerded out over. Number one, Yahweh is God over all gods. The sons of the mighty, gods of Lebanon, gods from Mount Hermon. Number two, Yahweh is creator over all creation. The waters, the weather, the wilderness, the flood, fire, lightning, livestock. Number three, Yahweh is king over all kings. King forever who grants peace to whom he wishes. So what now? If this is a battle hymn, what is our role in the battle? Let me give you some applications. Number one. Praise. Praise. We praise our God. Whatever circumstance you are in, praise God. Praise him for being more powerful than your cancer. Even if the doctor tells you, you may not survive. Praise him for being sovereign over your love life. If you're single and you're just like, when am I going to get married? Praise him over your love life. Number three, praise him for being victorious in your marriage. Even if your marriage is really hard, praise him for being victorious over it. Then praise him for being more powerful than the demonic. If you've experienced demonic oppression, which there is more than you realize, praise God for being over the demonic. He has more power and authority over them. So praise. Number two. Two application, pray. Plead with Jesus to exercise his supremacy over all by intervening in your family, marriage, or your classroom, or wherever. Plead with Jesus to make you more aware of the spiritual realm this culture tries to distract us from with its propaganda. Pray, have your eyes open. Third application, proclaim. The enemy is boldly and arrogantly proclaiming lies everywhere. Can I get an amen? amen? We need to proclaim truth from the housetops. What Jesus said to us was, what you hear in the dark, proclaim it on the rooftops. Specifically, this truth we are referring to is the gospel. That Jesus is true king over all. If you said it, I believe it. Every knee will bow. Every tongue will confess. Proclaim that Jesus has paid for sin and defeated Satan by his cross and his resurrection. So proclaim. And the fourth, it's not a P. I wish I could find a P word. Disciple. Disciple. If you're taking notes, write this down. We combat Pagan worldviews 
with Christian discipleship. Do you understand that? We combat pagan worldviews with Christian discipleship. We need, in fact, are commanded to have everyone in the church participating in discipleship. Meaning, there are people who come here and that have been here for years that need someone like a Priscilla and Aquila to come alongside them and show them the ways of God more accurately. What that can look like is getting up early in the morning, of course, inviting someone to do this, getting up early in the morning and taking a Bible to meet somebody for breakfast and read through the Bible, talk about the Bible, get it in their head. Disciple means learner. Like they should look like this, a little Bible in their head. But we can't do it if the church isn't participating. I think one of the reasons we have... Guys, we have a back door at Webster. We have a good front door. People come here, but we have a big back door and people leave. I think it's because we don't do this sometimes. I think our church would be transformed immensely if we just got brave enough to ask someone out to breakfast or lunch and go over the Bible with them, build a relationship over the Bible with them. I've seen more, I get... You know, this is great. I believe preaching is amazing, but I've seen more growth in people by just meeting them and reading this with them. You better be here next week, though. And one of the guys I did that with is preaching next week. So we combat pagan worldviews with Christian discipleship. And my promise to you, if you will commit to discipling someone or many people, you will begin to feel more connected to Jesus. You will begin to feel more connected to his church. You will begin to feel more connected and a part of his mission. So let's conclude. Last week I said broken people in a broken world can have hope because God is good. And if Yahweh, this God, is good, and if Yahweh is God over all gods, if Yahweh is creator over all creation, if Yahweh is king over all kings, and if he indeed is good, beloved, you can trust him in the uphill spiritual warfare you are experiencing. You can trust him with your sickness, your turmoil, your suffering you are experiencing from the creation And you can trust him to hold accountable every power and authority who contributes to the suffering humanity is experiencing. You can trust this good God who is sovereign over all beloved. And this God I'm speaking to you has made himself known in Jesus. Yeshua. Look at Colossians for just one moment. Just I know you want to go get your barbecue Just listen to what Colossians says about Jesus, about this God, this Yahweh God sovereign over all. He is the image of the invisible God. He's what we see. He's what we can know. The firstborn, meaning the, the one who inherits, who's rightly the authority over the family, all creation. He is owner of it all. 
By him, Jesus, all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. That is talking about the little G gods. Jesus is over all of them. He created them. All things were created through him. And whether they will admit it or not, they were created for him, for his pleasure, whether it's in his justice or in his mercy. Verse 17, he is before all things and in him, in Jesus, all things hold together. He is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent over broken creation and redeemed creation. He is preeminent for in him all the fullness of God. Yes, Ben, will you come forward? All of the fullness of God was pleased to dwell and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. Then Colossians even says this, verse 13 of chapter 2, you were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh. God made alive together with him, having, we've been made alive, having forgiven us our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demand. And he set aside, nailing it to the cross, Jesus disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them. Beloved, if you want to know this God who is supreme over all, go to Jesus. Go to Jesus. Father, we thank you for your word. I pray, God, that it would encourage us, that we would have confidence as we navigate this treacherous world. Help us to praise, help us to pray, help us to proclaim and help us to disciple because you are worth it, God. Amen.